Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. 1 Kings chapter 3, we're in a series called Kings, studying the different kings of Old Testament Israel and then later Old Testament Israel and Judah. Today we're looking at King Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and he said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life and wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. If you skip over to 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 29. 1 Kings 4, beginning with verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all of the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan the Ezrahite, wiser than Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. 
Can I ask you a question this morning? Is it possible, could it be possible that a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is basically uh, tantamount to a thousand wives, could it be possible that such a man is really the wisest man on the face of the planet ever? Really? I see some guys shaking their heads. You better watch it. I'm telling you right now, your, your wife's sitting there. The Bible says that Solomon who had 700 wives and 300 concubines, was the wisest man on earth, not only at the time he lived, but ever. How can that be? How can it be that such a man was such a wise man, or described even by God in his word, as the wisest man who ever lived? Well, let's take a look at Solomon. Let's take a look at his life. We all know that he's the third king of Israel. Uh, He was born uh, sometime around uh, 1030 B.C., about 1,030 years before uh, the time of Christ. He was the tenth son of David, the second son of uh, David's wife Bathsheba. Her first son died, as you remember, uh, as punishment against David for his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and for having murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. He became king approximately 967 B.C. The United Kingdom of Israel lasted about 120 years. You had King Saul, who reigned for about 40 years, King David, who reigned for about 40 years, and then King David's son Solomon reigned for about... 40 years. His kingdom extended all the way from the Tigris-Euphrates River in the, in the northeast all the way to Egypt in the southwest. He was the builder of the temple in Jerusalem. He was known for his wisdom and his wealth and his writings. His wisdom was so great in part because not long after he prayed this prayer asking God to give him wisdom, it was in a dream, by the way, that he prayed this prayer. Not long after that, the Bible says that there were two prostitutes who came to him and they had a baby, a single baby, and both of them claimed to be the mother of this child. And so... They were saying, this baby is mine. The other one was saying, no, this baby is mine. And so Solomon said, I'll tell you what, we'll settle this. Give me a knife. I'll cut the child in two, give half of his body to one mother and half to the other mother. And one of the women said, that's exactly what we need to do. I agree with that. And the other woman said, please don't do that. Just give the child to the other woman. And Solomon says, you are the real mother. Very famous story about Solomon's wisdom. The Bible says that he was a prolific writer. He composed over 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He was the um, Chris Tomlin of his day. The Bible also says that he oversaw the building of the temple in Jerusalem. His wisdom extended from architectural things to songs to proverbs to his ability to judge between people. So great was his wisdom that people came from all other nations to see his wisdom. But, but, Solomon's wisdom had its limits. 
You see, although Solomon is known to Bible history as, as the wisest man who ever lived, he is also known as one of the greatest fools who ever lived. How can that be? The wisest man who ever lived and one of the greatest fools who ever lived. How can that possibly be? You see, Solomon started out right. He's a lot like King Saul in that regard. Saul started out right and ended up bad. Solomon started out right, but he ended up veering off the path that God had called him to follow. His downfall came in his old age in four different phases. First of all, the Bible says that Solomon had many foreign wives whom he allowed to worship other gods. And he even built shrines for the sacrifices of his foreign wives. Most of those 700 wives that Solomon had married, they were foreign wives. Most of them were daughters of kings of other nations. And God had specifically told the children of Israel, you are not to intermarry with the people of pagan nations. You are not to allow interfaith marriage. And yet Solomon, though he was the wisest man in all the world, he disobeyed that command of God and he married these foreign women. Now, he probably thought it was a wise thing to do. I mean, after all, if you think about it, if you're a king of a nation and you're afraid that some other nations might at at some point try to overtake you, one of the things that you could do is to marry the daughter of one of those kings. Now, if one of those kings' daughter is married to Solomon, then that king is not nearly as likely to attack that nation because that's where his daughter is one of the queens. And so perhaps uh, Solomon was thinking that it was a wise thing for him to do to marry these different wives. But the Bible also tells us that these many wives he had from foreign nations caused him to turn away from the Lord. Second, Solomon placed heavy taxation on the people. He had great ambitions. He had great building uh, ambitions. And so he taxed the people heavily, and they in turn became bitter as a result of the heavy taxation. It was this particular point that would end up dividing the kingdom that Solomon had worked for 40 years to build up. Third, Solomon showed favoritism to the tribe of Judah, which was his own tribe. And this alienated the northern tribes. You remember that there are 12 different tribes of the nation of Israel. And Solomon, in his kingdom, during his reign, he shows favoritism uh, over and over and over again to the one tribe of Judah. You cannot continue doing that without alienating and offending the other 11 tribes. Solomon refused to acknowledge that the other tribes were offended. And so, the alienation of the other tribes grew. Fourth, he failed to teach his son how to deal with people. One of his sons, Rehoboam, would be the king after Solomon died. Rehoboam never learned how to deal with people. Rehoboam's decision to make the taxes which were already heavy, make them heavier on the people, resulted in a split of the nation of Israel with ten tribes seceding and going to the north and leaving Rehoboam with two tribes to reign over. And all this because he had not learned from his father how to deal with people. The kingdom would never be united again. And so you see the four 
phases of Solomon's downfall. By the end of his life, these four phases of downfall, this, this downward spiral that Solomon went, went into cost him the United Kingdom. What does all this have to do with us? Is there anything we can learn from Solomon? I believe that there is. I believe there's some things that we really do need to learn from Solomon. The first of which is this, that wisdom is a valuable commodity that comes from God. Wisdom is a valuable commodity that comes from God. Proverbs chapter 3 tells us in verse 13, says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Wisdom is a valuable commodity. It's something that the Bible teaches us that we all should seek after. And it's different from knowledge, as I mentioned with the children. Knowledge is information that we mentally acquire. But wisdom is the ability to use what knowledge we have in ways that honor God and serve our fellow uh, humankind. Wisdom is a valuable commodity. Second. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's a valuable commodity. Second, God grants wisdom to those who ask for it. In the New Testament, the book of James, which uh, many scholars believe was written by the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, the man who at one time was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem oversaw the Jerusalem conference in Acts, the book of Acts chapter 15. James says this in chapter 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God for it, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God grants wisdom to those who ask for it. So the Bible teaches us to ask for this kind of wisdom, this kind of ability to use the knowledge we have to honor God and to serve others. Number three, possessing wisdom is not the same as utilizing wisdom. Boy, if there's anything that Solomon's life teaches us, it is this. You can possess the greatest wisdom of anybody else in the world in your time or any other time, and yet, although you possess that wisdom, you can be guilty of not utilizing that wisdom in a way that honors God and in a way that blesses your nation. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. And for a time, Solomon utilized that wisdom that God gave him. But because Solomon was only half-heartedly devoted to God, he did not always exercise the wisdom God gave him. And so Solomon had wisdom, but in the end, did not use that wisdom to its full capacity. You can be the wisest person at Palmetto Baptist Church, and yet be the foolish, the most foolish person at Palmetto Baptist Church. Because you can have the wisdom that God gives us, and not use it. There's a difference between possessing wisdom on one hand, and utilizing that same wisdom on the other. The final lesson that I believe that we learn from Solomon's life is that people are known by what we do with wisdom in this life. People are known. We call that a legacy. What is your legacy? What do you want your legacy to be? By the time you die, what is it that you want people to remember about you? 
I know from reading God's Word that what God wants in for us when we leave this walk of life and go into our heavenly walk of life, He wants for people to be able to say, she walked with wisdom. She not only possessed wisdom, she acted in a way that was wise. He not only possessed wisdom, but he utilized the wisdom that God gave him for in, in, in ways that honored God and served his fellow humankind. People are known by what we do with wisdom in life. Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived. That's what the scripture says. I'm, I'm really having a hard time grappling with that. Would I think that he was the wisest man who ever lived if the scripture didn't say it? Boy, I'm struggling with that. And yet the scripture says that he was the wisest man who ever lived, that nobody would ever be as wise as he was ever, ever again. But his legacy was a mixed bag. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11, Beginning with verse 1 says this, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. This is his legacy. This is the legacy of the wisest man who ever lived. Verse 7, on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their god. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Solomon died in Jerusalem after 40 years as the ruler of Israel. He was buried in the city of David. His son Rehoboam succeeded him as king. And as I said earlier, under Rehoboam's rule, Solomon's empire was lost and the kingdom was divided into two parts, never to be together again. You see, God wants to give us wisdom and He wants us to live according to that wisdom. Not only possess it, but also utilize it. Some of you remember Dave Thomas. He was the founder and president and CEO of Wendy's. He died in early 2002. He left behind uh, more than uh, a few thousand Wendy's restaurants, but he also left a legacy of being a practical, hardworking man who was respected for his down-to-earth values. What uh, some people may not know, or you may know, was that Dave Thomas was a devoted Christian. He wrote a book entitled, Well Done. 
in which he said this, quote, he says, he says, uh, he says believers in Christ ought to be roll up your shirt sleeves Christians. He says, roll up your shirt sleeves Christians, see Christianity as faith and action. They still make the time to talk with God through prayer, study scripture with devotion, be super active in their church, and take their ministry to others to spread the good word. Dave Thomas went on to say that there are anonymous people in churches everywhere doing good for Christ, and they may be doing even more good than all of the well-known Christians in the world combined. There's more meat in that statement than in any hamburger he ever made. He knew about hard work in restaurant business, but he also knew how to take the wisdom God had given him and use it to honor God, and use it to serve people, and to share it with other people so that they could have the same thing that he had. He tells us as Christians that we need to roll up our sleeves. We need to possess wisdom. We get that by asking God for it. And we need to utilize the wisdom that God has given us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wisdom of Solomon. Lord, we're challenged by his wisdom. We're also amazed by, especially later in his life, how he, though he possessed the greatest wisdom of any man who ever lived, any person who ever lived, He used it so little during the latter parts of his life. Disobeying you, even though you would confront him face to face. God, help us as we learn from his life to seek wisdom, to seek it desperately, to seek it as something that we value as surely as the very breath that we breathe. And God, I pray that we'd not only seek it and ask you for it and and appreciate your giving it to us, but help us to use it. Because, Lord, there's a difference between possessing it and utilizing. Help us to possess it and utilize it. Father, the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts with a fearful respect of our God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, your word says. Lord, we begin this walk of wisdom, first of all, by inviting you into our lives to be our Savior and Lord, by entering into a relationship with you that is eternal. And Lord, there may be someone here in this building right now who has never invited you to be their Savior and Lord, and they need to do that in this service. I pray that this would be a time when someone here decides to invite Christ into their lives. Lord, I pray for others who have prayer concerns perhaps, who have other decisions to make, maybe to be baptized, maybe to join the church, maybe a commitment to ask you for wisdom and to to use it, be committed to using the wisdom you give them. Lord, help us not to just think that the invitation time is the time to get up our bags and put on our coats and shake off the dust and get ready to leave. Lord, may it be the time we get ready to have our lives changed. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.